Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. Good morning. You're listening to Just Life here on Radio Maria England, broadcasting live from our London studio. I'm Anna Whitehead, and I'm delighted to be joined this morning by AJ Loy. When AJ set off from Singapore to come to the UK to study, the following statements were true. Covid didn't yet exist. He planned to stay for just three years, and he wasn't a Catholic. So four years later, AJ finds himself here this morning on Radio Maria, having walked the Camino de Santiago uh, a few weeks ago and having travelled around the country and even to Europe um, on retreat and pilgrimage with some dear Singaporean Catholic friends. He's also the friend who will send you WhatsApp reminders telling you that you can eat a meaty lunch when a solemnity or a feast falls on a Friday. So how did this all happen? Um, So before he packs his bags and returns to Singapore, we're delighted to be joined this morning with AJ to unpack his time of it in the UK and to share a bit more about his experience as an international student and one who found himself on an unexpected and quite remarkable journey, if I say so myself, um, which led him to Catholicism in Our Lady's Dowry, England. So welcome to the studio, AJ. Thanks for having me, Anna. I wonder if we could perhaps start this journey all the way back in Singapore before you even got to the UK. And if you could tell us a little bit about what your life in Singapore was like and the years and decisions leading up to your move here to the UK. So I'll hand over to you. Yeah, um, so before I came to the UK, I was studying in a Methodist school in Singapore. And I think that was my really first exposure to the Christian faith because I I came from an atheist family. Um, And at this school, there were daily devotions um, in the mornings. There was a weekly chapel on Mondays. um, And there were religious events, I think, throughout, sprinkled throughout the year. Um, with a, quite a heavy emphasis on reading the Bible. So I think I got handed like three or four copies of the New Testament, um, which I didn't read at the time. Uh, and this was sort of my first exposure to who Christ was and sort of got me interested because I was surrounded by uh, very faithful um, Protestant Christian friends um, who would bring me to church and pray with me and pray for me. Um, and then after that, I uh, I did my national service in the army um, before um, coming to the UK to uh, study. I wonder if you could just say a few words about what national service entails, because that's definitely not something we have over here. Yeah, um, so it's it's two years of conscription that uh, Singapore males do. Um, thankfully, Singapore is not at war, and hopefully we never are. Um, but it's just a, a service to the nation in, in the army that Singaporean males do. And how did you how did you find that experience? I think it was um, quite a pivotal experience in my uh, faith journey. Um, because it really gives you time to think when you're sort of like sitting in the rain waiting for things to happen or you're lying in your bunk awake at night. Um, it gives you time to think through things. 
So whereas in school I was very focused on academia and getting ahead and um, trying to do the best that I could in an academic um, and even in like a co-curricular setting, um, the army gave me time to think through some of the bigger questions in life that I had um, and forced me to face up to some of these questions and start reading to find some answers. Mm-hmm. And what was practicing the Christian faith like in the in the in these two years of national service? I think in those two years, I would describe myself as a as a non-denominational Christian. Um, I sort of picked this label up because I didn't want to offend any of my mm-hmm. Protestant Christian friends who are um, of a particular denomination, and so I worked out that non-denominational was sort of the the way to to keep all my friends. Um, and so I would uh, pray. I remember um, two of my friends from school were in the same company as I was, uh, and we would meet together in the evenings um, when there was sort of uh, free time for personal administration. Um, and we would um, pray with one another uh, and pray for one another. And I think those were the early experiences I had of of praying in a community and with other friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as your national service came to a close, how did you decide to study in the UK? Or how did yeah? Could you tell us a bit about what you ended up studying and why you ended up here? <laughs> yeah, um, it was. I think it's all sort of happened by accident. Um, I was in my last year of school. Um, I was doing the international baccalaureate exams. Um, and my teacher came up to me and said, um, well, AJ, I've put you up for this scholarship um, that might send you overseas. Uh, so you better start applying for some overseas universities. Um, and I was like, oh, OK, I had, I had every intention of staying in Singapore to study. Um, but then uh, I decided to uh, apply to Cambridge um, purely because I had a geometry set um, that comes in the tin, which had Cambridge on it. And so for years, it had been my, uh, my dream to study at physics at Cambridge. Um, and so I applied for physics at Cambridge and by God's grace got in. Um, and so I found myself um, actually cutting my national service uh, a bit short and coming to study in the, uh, in the UK early. Mm. Yeah. And so you've, you, you're there with your geometry set in Singapore. What were your ideas of what Cambridge would be like or what were you imagining to yourself as you um, hopped on the plane and flew over? I imagined that w- there would be a lot more wearing suits and such um, and that the whole place would sort of be very old and, well, it was quite old and had a very Hogwartsy feel to it, um, which was which was exciting. Um, but then I think you sort of, like, just as you see, like, a beautiful painting every day and then you sort of miss it, um, you start to not notice it so much anymore. I think Cambridge somehow became the new normal, um, like, seeing people walking around in, in black tie and white tie at around 7pm, sort of became the, the new norm. <laughs> Quite a change from national service, I imagine. Yeah. And how did, your, how did your faith grow in that time? What, what kind of questions were you asking yourself as you left national service and cut it short and came to Cambridge? What, what stage of your faith journey were you at there? I think when I was in national service, a lot of my friends began inviting me more regularly to their churches. Um, and so I started to go and, and the idea popped into my head that, or rather was given to me that um, <laughs> baptism, uh, like water baptism, was quite a, an important step to take on the faith journey. Um, I didn't yet you know, have the words like sacrament in my head, um, but these were the things that were important um, in church membership at the time. And because I had friends from different denominations, there was then the question of which church. Um, and very honestly, I think Catholicism wasn't on my sort of short list of things that I was reading about. But as I was reading about the history and theology and philosophy of many of these denominations, um, it all started to, started to point back towards the Catholic faith and the Catholic Church, um, which I didn't 
admittedly at the time I didn't really want because I had this impression that Catholicism, well, coming from a maybe surround, a school surrounded by my Protestant friends uh, who are very faithful and devout, um, I had this impression that Catholicism was very ritualistic uh, and kind of boring. Um, and I, I think I attended one mass, um, which I felt was way too long. Um, <laughs> and, and there were a lot of uh, words that I didn't quite catch. Um, or see the meaning too. So I was, I was honestly looking for a reason to not be Catholic. Mm. Um, but I think after reading the history of many dom- denominations, how they came to be and their doctrines, they all started to point towards the Catholic faith. And so I think as I was leaving Singapore um, and arriving in Cambridge, um, the Catholic faith was the one that I wanted to explore or look more into. Mm-hmm. And you've gone through Freshers' Week, you've got your geometry kit um, and then the first Sunday or the second Sunday um, in your Cambridge undergraduate term rocks around. Um, how do you decide which church you're going to venture into or how did that come to be that you found your way, um, your one-way ticket into the Catholic chaplaincy? Yeah, well, um, before I left um, Cambridge, uh, before I left Singapore, sorry, uh, I was added to this Facebook group for all the Singaporean freshers arriving in Cambridge and most of it was complete nonsense. It was like pizza parties. and, mm-hmm. um, But there was one message uh, saying, are there any Catholics here? And if, you, and if you are Catholic, you can get in touch with me and I'll show you where to go for Mass. Um, and I thought, well, I'm not really Catholic yet, <laughs> um, but I am quite interested to go for Mass um, and see whether it can be any less boring than the last time. Um, <laughs> and, so I, uh, and so I got in touch with, uh, with this young lady and... Uh, she directed me to Fisher House, taught me how to find it, um, and yeah, I showed up there on the on the first Sunday with my with my parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And did you? How did you find it? Did you catch any more words? Did you plan to sneak in and out, or did you find yourself caught and um, part of the community? I I did plan to sort of sneak in and out, um, and I think in the first few the first few masses I attended, at least I was just trying not to stand out. Um, because there was a lot of standing up and sitting down and kneeling, um, and like random times like bells would ring and I was like, what's going on? Uh, and just trying to like follow along and not stick out like a sore thumb. Um, so I was looking to get in and out and just sort of see what was going on and then take my leave. Um, I remember when I walked in on that Sunday, there weren't that many people. I think it was the, I think it was the Sunday before like all the freshers arrived. Um, and I was, uh, greeted by, uh, this priest who was standing in the in the door, um, Father Mark, and uh, he he sort of came up to me and asked me the the questions I'd been getting all week, you know, like, hi, what's your name? Uh, what college are you at? What are you studying? Mm-hmm. Um, and I said I told him my name, uh, and I said I'm from Modlin, uh, Modlin College, and I remember him saying, uh, oh, good man, I'm a Modlin man myself, um, and I think that was like the first sort of spark of connection like oh someone else here has walked the steps that i've walked mm. and actually they've come out of it alive um <laughs> but also he's like a really nice uh, and like welcoming priest um i told him that i i wasn't catholic he said that was absolutely fine and that i was welcome um i think that left a lasting impression on me uh so that so much so that i sort of came back the next week um because it was sunday and i had sort of nothing else to do um <laughs> And and now this week this week there are a lot more people because all the freshers had arrived. Um, I think it was like Fresher Sunday, and there was like a, a big lunch afterwards. So I was like, okay, you know what? He's met so many people this week. I'm pretty sure, and he's not going to remember me, and that's totally fine. I wouldn't expect him to. I just slipping in and out of the chapel, um, and no biggie. Uh, 
And then out of like the throng of students, um, he sees me and he goes, oh, AJ, welcome back. And <laughs> hello again. Um, and I think that was sort of the um, experience of the human experience of, of being known and, um, and I welcomed into the community by name. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. I think that takes us up nicely to our first music break. Could you tell us what you've chosen for this music? Uh, I've chosen the song uh, Lord of My Life by Met Maha. Great. Let's give it a listen. Sky without a north star A ship without an anchor Caught up in the current Our heart is prone to wander All the roads I've taken Lead me back to
you're listening to Just Life here on Radio Maria. We've been joined by AJ Lloyd this morning, chatting all things Cambridge, conversion, Catholicism. Um, and we've got to the wonderful point in his story where he's he's come to come to Cambridge to study astrophysics. Um, and he's thinking about Catholicism, has thought he could sneak in and out of mass without being noticed um, and has sort of been caught by the chaplain um, who welcomes him into the community. And we're about to dive into to the journey of finding out what happens next. So I wonder, AJ, if you could tell us uh, what what was that experience like of, of settling into Cambridge as a Singaporean student um, in this, what can be quite an odd and bizarre, old-fashioned environment um, and finding your feet in the Catholic community. Yeah, I think I um, started off with the first few weeks at least just getting adjusted to Cambridge mm. um, and getting used to the, the rigour of the course uh, and how fast-paced everything seems to happen because I think the terms are eight weeks only. Um, and so everything sort of happens really quickly and then before you know it, there's a Christmas break. Mm. Um, and I think at some point during that first term, I had made friends with well, quite early on in the first term, I made friends with some other Singaporean Catholics uh, who would take me out to lunch after Sunday Mass. And mm-hmm. so there was a reason for me to keep showing up to uh, to Sunday Mass because there was there was food on offer and friends. Um, and some way, sometime in the, those first few weeks, one of them asked me, um, well, when are you going to actually do something about your faith? Um, and at Just the time... the point there. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I, I'd sort of um, been cruising along and sort of in, enjoying my time. Um, without actually having to make any commitments. But mm. I think this was an invitation to, that if I really believed in something or really wanted to explore something, that I had to make a, a bold move. Um, and so I emailed Father Mark, the, the chaplain at Cambridge, um, and he uh, replied to me saying how wonderful it was that I was reaching out and that he'd had desired me for quite a while <laughs> um, and that he'd be happy to have a chat with me. And so I was invited to um, this sort of chat by the, the fireplace in the, in the great chamber. Um, with the in these two oversized armchairs, um, which I one of which I sunk into, um, and he um, started speaking to me about the faith um, and handed me this book, uh, which was called The Catholic Faith by Monsignor Roderick Strange, um, which was quite an important book in my conversion because it sort of introduced Cath- um, Catholicism, but at the sort of level of thinking of a university student. Mm. Um, and so it was quite important to me. And so every week I'd read a few chapters of this book um, and bring the questions that I had and there were many because I had come from a maybe Protestant background. Um, and Father Mark would sit there and patiently answer them. Uh, and they were, I remember he used the the wood of the stool to explain to me um, transubstantiation and the real presence, which I had a slight problem with um, initially. Uh, and then he, there was one point I pulled out a, a rosary from my bag uh, that I'd been sort of carrying around as like a talisman. I don't know where I found it. It, it had it had the word Medjugorje on it, which at the time I didn't know. I didn't know what Medjugorje was. Um, no one in my family has been to Medjugorje, but for some reason it found its way into my bag and I sort of left it there. But I pulled it out and um, I had no idea what it was and said, I think this is like remotely Catholic. Um, he was like, oh, it's very Catholic. And he, he sort of picks it up and untangles it um, physically and also um, like metaphorically, mm-hmm. I think. Uh, and he sort of takes the next few minutes to explain to me how to pray in Our Father, how to pray Hail Mary and a Glory Be. Um, and it was very patient through all of it because these are all prayers that I'd you know, somewhat heard of but didn't really know. Um, and then after I left that um, initial conversation, I Googled him because I was so intrigued by the, the knowledge of this man and found out that he had a whole Wikipedia page and 
um, he had like a, a doctorate in, in sacred theology um, and it was like quite an important ecumenical advisor to the Pope. And I was like, this man just spent the better part of an hour explaining to me how to pray the most basic prayers in Catholicism. Um, and I think that for me was a demonstration of love and, and humility on my part, mm-hmm. on, on his part, um, which sort of inspired me to um, sort of walk the life of, of Catholic virtue and sort of follow in those footsteps. Mm-hmm. And in your first year, we get to Easter vacation and the world starts shutting down, essentially. We go into coronavirus-related lockdowns um, and, well, initially everyone thinks they're coming back after the Easter vacation and quite happily parts ways. And then it soon becomes clear that this is this is more than a couple of weeks break. Um, I wonder if you could tell us a bit about how, how the pandemic and that disruption um, returning back to Singapore fitted into your journey of faith. I think it was quite jarring for me um, because uh, at, at first I was on the side of the people who all thought that it was just like the flu. Mm. Um, and so I didn't really make many preparations. And then when it became clear that, you know, my parents and uh, my friends wanted me home, um, that I had to pack my bags and fly home quite quickly. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of time for goodbyes. Quite critically, I think I took the book from Father Mark with me mm. um, and uh, flew home. We had, we had continued our um, sort of one-to-one meetups over the Christmas break. Um, and so uh, when I flew home for the Easter break, we sort of continued this um, email exchange um, where I would ask him some questions and he would write. He would take the time to write quite lengthy replies that I would read. Um, and then he would also um, point me to various resources online. Mm. Um, and I think at the time, because I had been struggling with the doctrine of the real presence, um, he pointed me to this one and a half hour lecture on YouTube uh, by Bishop Robert Barron um, about about the real presence. And um, I remember watching it. I was I was up late at night in Singapore uh, and I my, my TV it was one of the smart ones with YouTube. And I put it up on, on TV and was sort of sitting around, <laughs> sitting around on the, on the couch watching it. Um, and one and a half hours later, I think I was intellectually convinced of Mm-hmm. The, the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Um, and then I went to Mass the next day and sort of continued to see a wafer um, and was quite disappointed because I thought, you know, this was like the big moment for me that I was going to see my Lord in, in the Eucharist. Um, but I didn't. Um, and then uh, returned to Cambridge. Um, the Well, no. I watched the Cambridge live stream of the Mass um, online on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was sometime Father Mark had celebrated Mass and like the compassion in his face and the gravitas in his voice um, and he lifted up the Eucharist and I was looking at it through the screen um, and sort of realized, yeah, if, if Jesus Christ has said, this is my body, how can I say it's not? Mm-hmm. Um, and hear the words of, of a priest saying it in, mm-hmm. in the person of Jesus Christ, and I, I can't deny it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was quite convinced after that and asked Father Mark what I needed to do to get baptized. Um, and he said he had taught me enough to, to baptize <laughs> me. Um, and uh, but, he, but obviously I was stuck in Singapore and he was in Cambridge. Um, and I wanted to be baptized in Singapore also because my friends and my family mm-hmm. were all there. Um, and so I, I spoke to... Um, this priest who's in charge of um, the office for young people in Singapore. And uh, he said, well, if you really want to get baptized, uh, he did sort of <laughs> quiz me for a bit at first, uh, whether I knew like the four last things and, and the importance Real. of the mass. Yeah. Um, and then he said, well, if you really want to get baptized, I'll write to Father Mark and get permission for you to be baptized. Um, so he did that. Um, I don't know how, to this day, I think the priests have like some sort of secret internet website where they communicate with each other. Um, 
but he got the approval for me to be baptized. Um, and he's texted me with like, AJ, I bring news of great joy. <laughs> Father Mark has said that you can be baptized. Um, and it was the middle of the pandemic, so we couldn't have that many people mm. at my baptism. Um, everything was sort of socially distanced. Uh, but I was baptized on the, on the 5th of September, 2020. Wow. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about the day of your baptism and yeah, bringing all your family and friends or the family and friends that could be there um, together in that, in that Catholic church? I think it was quite beautiful. I was baptized at the cathedral in Singapore. Um, uh, and I'd invited a few of my very close Protestant friends and a few of my newfound Catholic friends from Cambridge, uh, who are Singaporean. Um, and they sort of sat on, on either side of the aisle and it was a little bit like the parting of the Red Sea and I was a little bit afraid, uh, that they would start like a war with each other or something. Um, but it, it all went, um, very smoothly. And after that, we, we went out to a very socially distanced lunch, um, uh, which was um, which is nice. I think I, at my baptism, so many things were sort of running through my head mm-hmm. um, that uh, I think that I only realized the significance of what had happened after it had happened, mm-hmm. um, especially the especially the confirmation, which was sort of lost in between baptism and and first Holy Communion. Um, but I remember at my baptism, I was I was leaning sideways quite awkwardly over a basin of water, and. I thought that there was this huge crucifix behind me um, and Jesus's last breath was about to become my sort of first breath. And um, I don't know, I had this weird moment of like very cinematic drama where I was sort of crouched a few meters in front of where I was um, bent over and just seeing my my face aligned with, with Christ's um, and sort of him breathing new life into me. Um, this this reflection happened. This happened at the time, but the reflection only happened, I think, after the after I was dried off and stuff. Yeah. Wow. And what was it? What was life then like as a as a baptized Catholic um, in Singapore, away from the the Cambridge community? Um, I was actually only there for another two weeks because okay. Cambridge called me back to, um, because I had. Uh, I had lab practicals to that I needed to do, and they were very insistent that even in the middle of a pandemic, I come, I come <laughs> back to Cambridge, uh, and so I think I picked, sort of picked up my Catholic life again in in Cambridge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that takes us to our second music break. What have you chosen for this piece? Uh, for this, I've chosen um, a hymn called uh, "Feed My Lambs" by John Angotti. No. Uh, him here I am Lord <laughs> great let's give it a listen thanks AJ I the Lord of sea and sky I have heard my people cry all who dwell Is it I, Lord? 
I will break their hearts of stone Give them hearts for love alone I will speak my words to them Whom shall I send? Here I am, Lord Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night I will go, Lord If you leave me I will hold your people in my heart I, the Lord of wind and rain I will send the poor and lame I will send listening to Just Life on Radio Maria. I've been joined by AJ Loy this morning chatting about his story as an international student um, and his journey to Catholicism and he shared with us his very touching testimony um, telling us how he came to the Catholic faith and was baptised in Singapore during the pandemic Um, and before we head back to Cambridge where you resumed your studies in the socially isolated environment could you tell us a bit about about that hymn? Yeah, I I only discovered this hymn um, one day at Mass, and I think the first time it played, um, I was just listening very intently to the lyrics, um, and it sort of made me cry. Um, and I, you know, I like to think I'm a manly man, and I don't cry very easily. Um, but now every time this hymn plays at Mass, I sort of tear up, um, thinking of myself volunteering myself to the Lord. Mm. Sorry, I'm <laughs> tearing up myself. Um, and so you've, be- you've become baptised, you made this wonderful step into the Catholic faith, um, and then you returned to Cambridge conducting this very important lab work. Um, what, was it, what was it like then? Um, 
being a baptised Catholic and coming to Mass, then how did your how did your, your experience of the Catholic chaplaincy and community um, and the sacraments really grow over that time? Um, actually, before I'd been baptised in my first year, um, I'd started to pick up this habit of going to daily Mass. Um, and I remember that it was there was a 1.05 Mass, um, at 1.05 p.m. Mass, and my lectures ended at 1 p.m., um, just about a five minute cycle away um, and so every day after my lectures had finished I would hop on my bike uh, and race down this road um, quite perilously um, and I would sort of rush into the the chaplaincy and my bike helmet would like clatter to the floor and make a big noise um, sometimes it was raining and I was dripping wet and making a huge mess everywhere um, and then and Father Mark who was vested and celebrating that mass um, would be standing waiting for me, knowing that I was on my way. Uh, sometimes I was maybe like 30 seconds or a minute late, um, and his hand would be on the rope that, that dings the bell. Um, he would just sort of be waiting for me to go in. Um, and as soon as I'd walked in, he would he would ding the bell, and I would sort of have, have time to take off my, my coat and um, prepare for Mass. Uh, but this, this habit of daily Mass had um, continued for me, um, and I was quite grateful that even during the... Um, the lockdown in the UK, um, there was still, a, oh, well, before the lockdown had, had kicked in, there was still a morning mass um, at Fisher House. Um, I remember every time um, before the pandemic, as I'd gone to Holy Communion, um, I would cross my arms so that Father Mark would give me a blessing mm. instead of Holy Communion. And I remember just every time coming so close to the Eucharist and m- sort of missing it mm. in a sense. Um, and so this time I was really looking forward after the pandemic to going back to Mass and receiving communion from, from Father Mark. Um, but after the um, after I'd returned to Cambridge, with COVID becoming so serious, mm-hmm. I think Father Mark, uh, being a bit elderly, was not allowed to celebrate public Mass. Um, and so I remember not receiving the Eucharist from him um, and never receiving the Eucharist from him, um, mm-hmm. which was, I think, a, a bit sad for me. Um, but it reminded me of this sort of um, the unity of the priesthood in that I receive, I receive in Holy Communion not just Jesus Christ, but the body of Christ, which included him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And very sadly, we lost Father Mark um, in January of 2021. Um, and it was a very, a very difficult moment for, for his friends, family, most of whom had no idea that he had been um, struggling with this illness, which had it got quite serious um quite quickly towards the end um and it was it was a huge shock for the community i wonder if you could say a bit about how that yeah how that time was um as you were sort of taking the first leaps and bounds in your faith um and then to lose somebody who had really welcomed you in yeah um it was it was quite um difficult i think uh and it was um, I think it was s- sad for me because I didn't really have a chance to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Um, my last interaction with him had been uh, standing at the Fisher House door and I'd walked his dog Audrey for him uh, and returned the dog Audrey. And um, he was wearing a mask, I was wearing a mask, but he sort of said, welcome to the family. Um, this was the first time him seeing me in person after I'd been baptised. Um, and then a few weeks later, I received. Uh, we all received an email saying that he um, was was soon going to pass away. Uh, and I think I was quite angry with with God at that time, um, because I was like, you know, I've taken this big step to 
join your family, God. Um, and now the person who's been responsible for bringing me in and educating me in, in faith, um, you're taking from me. Uh, which sort of felt very unfair for me. Um, and I think that, and then a few, uh, maybe a week later, uh, we received an email quite early in the morning to tell us that Father Mark had, had passed away. Um, and I saw this email as I was getting up and going to morning mass. Mm. Uh, and so I was at morning mass and everyone was sort of very solemn because we, mm. we all had received this email. Um, and the, the priest celebrating mass came in um, and said that even in this time of grief, we were all to pray for Father Mark. Mm. Um, and that he would offer the first of many um, masses for him around the world. And he was celebrating that morning, I remember, with Father Mark's ordination chalice. Mm. Um, and so it was it was difficult as a, a human moment for me to uh, lose someone that I was very close to. Um, but I think a reminder in Catholicism that um, we are, we all have this communion in Christ Mm. Um, and that I really had now to practice that mm -hmm. hope that I had professed to, to have. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing. And how did you, how did you then begin to practice that hope? As you just said, how, how did your life as a student studying astrophysics, um, how did that all shape into this new identity in Christ? I think I tried to continue to, um, live in a way that would have made Father Mark smile mm. um, and continue to practice my faith. Um, continue to cycling, continue cycling perilously. Yes, yes. <laughs> down, cycling down the road to the 105 Mass. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, sort of becoming involved in, in the mm. life at the chaplaincy, um, in reaching out to um, other Catholics and other non-Catholics, um, sharing my faith in, in the same sort of cheerful and hopeful, welcoming way that Father Mark um, did for me and sort of continuing his tradition in that way. And how about um, your studies themselves? How how were they shaping along <laughs> alongside this very drastic journey of, <laughs> of conversion that you've, you've been on? I, I remember I'd come to Cambridge wanting to study physics um, for two reasons. The first, which is, which is no more noble, uh, I thought that it was going to be um, this way of understanding the universe because at the time I was... I was I wasn't entirely convinced of um, God, and so I was trying to work out, you know, how I can understand the universe from a scientific point of view. Um, and I was very excited to study quantum physics, um, which I later found incredibly difficult and regretted. Um, but I was, I wanted to know more about the universe. And the second reason was that I needed a degree and thought that I was quite good at physics, and so that it would be quite easy. <laughs> Another thing that I regretted uh, thinking at the time. Um, and it was quite exciting in first year, I think. I found it immensely difficult, but quite rewarding. But I think as I grew in faith, I found that my passion for physics um, became a little bit more lackluster. Mm. Um, not in the sense that I, I didn't like it anymore. Uh, I think I still found it quite exciting and intriguing, um, just that it seemed to lose its appeal in the light of learning more about God and growing closer to Him. Um, and But at the same time, I saw my studies as a means of sanctification, probably because it was so difficult. Um, <laughs> but that it was another way for God to reveal himself to me um, and that continuing to study um, well uh, while praying and trusting in Christ um, was, a, was a means for me to grow closer to him. Mm -hmm.
could you say a bit about the other Singaporean Catholic students who had sort of put that first message out on Facebook saying they were going to Mass in your Freshers' Week and what role did they have um, and the wider Singaporean Catholic community in the UK? Um, what role have they had in your journey over the past few years? I think it's been really important and quite pivotal for me um, to learn what it means to pray together with my friends, um, to uh, celebrate um, when it's a feast day and someone's been baptized after that saint, we'll send each other like an almost secondary birthday message um, to celebrate life together, I think. Um, but even in even within Cambridge, I think after every week after Sunday Mass, um, during this lunch, somebody would have um, read about some aspect of our faith and would begin a discussion about it. Um, and I think it was this sort of easiness about talking about our faith, um, which was quite important to me as I learned to navigate being a Catholic in a very anti-Catholic world. Um, and uh, meeting up with the, uh, my other Singaporean friends from home um, at various times throughout the year, um, and sort of walking through this life of faith together, um, I think it was important for me to learn that I I couldn't just do it alone. Um, I think I, I had this mindset since young that I sort of had to achieve everything by myself, mm. um, and that if anyone was going to be great, it had to be me and me alone. Um, but I think I realized that this journey of faith was one that was done with the church and in the church. Um, and so um, these other Singaporean students who had, had come this very long way to study here um, sort of became that um, that visible church to me. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's anything you could say about what it's like to be a young person um, of faith or practicing their faith um, in Singapore or what are the particular opportunities or joys um that that group of people kind of experienced as Singaporean Catholics? Or what's, yeah, just give us a little idea of what the church in Singapore looks like. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a very, um, very vibrant and growing church. Um, not without its, its struggles like any other um, particular church in the world. Um, but in Singapore, because of, it's a multi-religious society, um, I think everyone takes great care not to step on one another's toes mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, and so... Uh, like the processions, the Eucharistic processions will happen within the church grounds and not like on the streets and things like that. Um, and this was all, I think, quite normal to me coming um, from the environment. Um, but it's a very young and exciting church, I think. Uh, so there's there's an organization called the Office for Young People um, in Singapore, and they hold a retreat at Christmas and then one again at Easter time. Um which are four and 10 day retreats, which were quite intimidating to me as a newly baptized Catholic. Uh, I think going for these retreats and encountering um, Christ on the mountain with the other people of of God um, was quite exciting for me as a young person to see hope in the church and like new life. Mm -hmm. There's so much we could could dive into. I just wanted to briefly talk about your recent trip to to Spain and walking walking the Camino. AJ wished me on my not quite perilous um, but sporadic bus journey this morning. Um, he wished me a buen camino. Um, so I did want to to ask AJ about his trip um, on the camino and what that was like, really. Uh, I think it, it was quite revealing like, oh, instructive for me. Um, I started off thinking that it was going to be this very this exceedingly spiritual journey um, and that I was going to start levitating maybe after a few days <laughs> uh, that maybe like a tree would burst into flames and I'd hear a voice or something. Um, but I was fully intent on spending it sort of monastically um, and sort of praying the liturgy of the hours, going to Mass, uh, but all by myself and walking by myself and I thought I was going to have some big revelation from God in, in that time alone. 
Um, I think the big revelation did come, but it came when other people started coming up to me on the Camino and starting conversations with me. Uh, some Catholics, some non-Catholics, some English-speaking, some not totally not English-speaking, um, which I initially found quite frustrating because I sort of wanted to be left alone. Um, and I thought that they were sort of interrupting my, my, my prayer time. Um, but having conversations with these people and sharing about... The, the, the number one question that you get on the Camino, even before people ask your name, is uh, why are you doing the Camino? Um, and I found that people's reasons were very different. You get some people who were, um, whose partners had died, um, and so they were walking to remember them and sort of walk with them. Um, you got young Catholics who were doing it um, as, a, as a form of penance and mortification, um, but also those who are looking to thank God for a miracle that had been worked in their lives. Um, some people were looking on the journey of like secular self-discovery, um, and then some sort of Catholic, some Catholics on a journey to know God more intimately. Um, and hearing everybody's whys and why they were um, putting themselves sort of through this, I think brought me life and being able to share my own experiences with Christ um, with these complete strangers brought me life and I think taught me along the way that the faith is not one to be lived privately, but one to be lived in communion with God's people. Mm-hmm. What what was particularly surprising um, about the Camino? Or was there one particular moment where you thought, this is just completely bonkers? <laughs> How have I ended up on the Camino? <laughs> I think there was uh, one evening I went to, all the masses on the Camino are held at like 7pm because mm. people have to walk um, the whole day. And after mass, I was, I was ready to um, go for dinner by myself and then head back to my room and, and fall asleep. Or head back to my, be- my bed and fall asleep. But after mass, I was accosted by um, this group of strangers who were like, would you like to go to dinner? Um, and, and I was like, <laughs> I, I've, it's been a really long day of walking. I kind of want to retreat uh, to my own bed and fall asleep. However, we know from the past hour that um, food after mass is a key point in your journey. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so what happens next, AJ? <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so I, I like to joke that after we, after we feast, we must eat. Um, and so I, uh, I, went, I agreed to go out to dinner with this random group of strangers. Um, and it turned out to be one of the most enjoyable meals that I've had um, because they were all sharing their sort of stories in faith um, and encouraging me on the way. Um, and they were all uh, older than me. Um, and so they had lived these lives and I, it was it was an amazing experience to me to be connected to the universal church in this very personal way. Mm-hmm. I think we just have time for a quick music break. Um, this is Feed My Lambs.